this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Thank you. Just a warning, I'm not going to anesthetize you this morning, so you have to stay fully awake, okay? Epidural only. Um, it's great to be able to share on, on this subject. This, this is, um, we've, it's been great to consider Covenant Together over the last well, number of months now. And um, just to be reminded that God is a God of covenant. God is so interested in covenant. He's a covenant maker, covenant initiator, a covenant keeper. He's faithful. He's consistent. His promises are true and perfect. And he wants us as his people to represent him perfectly in expressing covenant not only with him but to one another as well God's desire is that we are a well it's not even his desire he's made us to be a covenant community community of believers where covenant is expressed practically and really every day between believers and that's how God extends his kingdom and uh, it was a few months ago now that David shared about the church in Ephesus and talked about how when Paul went to visit Ephesus on his first trip, I think it's in, in, in uh, Acts 19, it's described, 12 people come to faith. Yeah. And then in about seven years, it's thought that church grew to 20,000 from a dozen. Massive growth. Right. People expressing community together, covenant together. And when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, it's at this seven years later on in about AD 60. And... Um, Ephesians is a bit like Romans. He's not necessarily dealing with issues like he does in Galatians and Corinthians. He's more just talking about this incredible revelation and truth about who Jesus is, what God has done, about the love of God and how to outwork that together practically. And then he reminded us then of how even 30 years on from that, when John writes and sees heaven and has this prophetic revelation, in Revelation 2, Jesus challenges the church in Ephesus and says this, I'm pleased with you in so many ways, but you've forgotten your first love. Your covenant love for me somehow is the, it's, it's, it's gone away, it's, it's faded, it's got lost in the mix of everything else. They'd forgotten their first love. And God wants us to be those who never forget our first love, Jesus, that we love him that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. But we don't get away with just that because in the same breath, Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great suggestion that Jesus gave us. No, the great command to love. There's something about when we love one another, our motives are good, aren't they? Um, If any you hear parents with, of children, you can know that when you ask your children to do something, they may do exactly what you asked, but you've got a little sneaky suspicion that the motive isn't quite there. Their heart's not in it. And you know it's obvious that even when people do something right, if their heart's not in it, if their heart's not good, something about it that just doesn't hit the mark. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. He says, you can speak the languages of men and angels. You can have faith to move mountains. You can even die for others. But if you don't have love, it's empty. It's meaningless. The motive is gone. It's wrong. The reason that you're doing it is wrong. These incredible things. 
Paul says there are people out there in Philippians 1.15, he says they're preaching out of competition. They're trying to outdo me. Their motives are wrong. He says, well, I kind of don't care really because the gospel's being preached, so it's fine as far as I'm concerned. But there was something in them. Heart isn't right. And you know, when love moves us, when love motivates us, it stops us being motivated for the wrong reasons. God's desire is not that we are motivated by guilt. God does not want us to be motivated by fear. God doesn't want us to be motivated by a superstition or legalism to say, well, okay, I'll do this because I don't want bad things to happen to me if I don't do it. You know, I don't want to be punished for not doing what's right. God says, no, I don't. He cares, he loves us, and he wants all that we do to be in the knowledge of his love and born out of love ourselves. It just deals with all of the wrong motives. It takes everything out that can be a negative motive. It removes it all so that everything comes from the right place. The fact is, if we love Jesus, we'll love his body. Jesus says, if you do this for the least of them, if you clothe, visit, imprison, feed those who are in need, it's like you've done it for me. Express love for him in our care for one another. When Jesus restores Peter on the beach after his resurrection and they're having a barbecue, Jesus has prepared this fish dinner for the, for the disciples and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then show it by what? Care for my sheep. Feed my lambs. Jesus says, if you love me, it will be expressed in your care for those around you. And then John, in, in 1 John, talks in, in 1 John 3 and 4. He says, you, you say you love God, but hate your Christian bother or blisters, brothers and sisters. Then there's no love in you, really. Proof that you love God is proof that you love one another. These things are inextricably linked. You can't separate a love for God, a love for Christ, without having a love for his people, a love for his body, a love for his church. In fact, I believe one of the greatest ways that we'll ever express our love for Jesus is in our love and care for one another. Not by singing loudly or dancing more fervently. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it's outworked and expressed and revealed in our care and love for one another. Covenant love as a covenant community, so that all that we do isn't convenient love, it's covenant love. We live in a society, in a culture where everything is based on what do you need? What best suits your needs at this time? And we won't tie you in. You just need to let us know and you're free and you can choose something else. You can change your energy supplier, you can switch your mobile network, you can change your TV package, you can get movies if you want, but you don't have to. It's all about you. And if we're not careful, that seeps into our mindset. It becomes that in everything is, I'm I'm good with this as long as it's convenient for me. And it's a challenge, isn't it? Because it won't always be convenient for us. And something's got to be bigger than me and what I'm a part of. We're not just involved, we're committed. Somebody once said that's bacon and eggs. In bacon and eggs, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. (laughs) In Romans 12, verse 9, Paul says, uh, don't just pretend to love one another. Really love one another. Mean it. Mean it. Let your motives be right. And you know, there's something about our covenant love for one another that reveals something about us. It's it's mature believers. There's a maturity to... um, 
and a security that we need to love in this way. 1 Corinthians 13, um, which we'll be sort of coming back to throughout this, this message. Paul says, agape love, covenant love, is patient and kind. This is from verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Covenant love is patient and kind. Covenant love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's the covenant love described for us by Paul so wonderfully in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And you know, childishness expresses itself in different ways. You don't have to teach a child to be jealous. Don't know if anybody's ever sat down with their child and say, right, now, for goodness sake, don't share, please. (laughs) And, 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 And please, go and get that toy off that child. You want that. Go and get it. Immaturity, childishness, jealousy is is part of that. To demand my own way. Tantrum time is a sign of immaturity. To have unchecked anger and words so there's no filter. It's just bleh. It's immaturity. It's childishness. And you compare that with maturity where, where Paul is saying that you're selfless instead of jealous. That you're considerate and kind instead of demanding your own way. That you're self-controlled and patient instead of unchecked anger and words. What a difference, what a contrast, when as a church, that's how we seek to live. And I believe that is in the heart of every believer here, that all of us want to experience and live in this love, be this mature, secure believer who can love in this way. Part of the challenge, I believe, for us, and when Will was speaking last week about the heart, is that we, um, for different reasons, we see the world through a lens, Our lives and how we view one another is often colored by past experiences, past hurts. We might have issues with authority because those who were in authority over us when we were younger abused that authority somehow. We might have been hurt and betrayed and therefore we struggle to trust and we see then everything through this lens. And God wants by his Holy Spirit to remove the lens, the filter that's wrong, and put in place the right filter of his love that makes us secure and able to live in the love that he has for us. I believe God wants to to remove some filters this morning so that we can look at one another in the right way, so that all that we do is born out not of insecurity but security, that is actually tied to our identity, that fundamentally is this, I am loved by God. His love is set on me and nothing will ever change it. Nothing will ever change my father's love for me. That's my identity. That's my security. That's where I'm going to put my roots. And from that, I'm able to love others in the same way. Sometimes we try and love people without understanding the covenant love of God for us. Holy Spirit, I ask you would help us to understand this love afresh this morning. These are words that we've heard so many times, Holy Spirit, but we ask, please reinforce the power of our understanding of how loved we are, of how loved each person here is by you. Regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances, regardless of hurts, regardless of past history, that your love is perfect and surely goodness and love and kindness will follow us all the days of our lives. Amen.
You know, God wants us to understand this love. And, um, and I, I want to just consider one thing. Uh, I want to talk about enmity and unity. And who um, put this next slide up? In, in, when God created us for relationship, loving relationship, but sin came in and it brought enmity, hostility. And in Genesis 3, you read about it. God says, now there's going to be hostility, enmity between you, Adam, and Eve, and between your children and, your, and, and their relationships. In, in all of mankind, all of a sudden, there's enmity and discord and hostility. And God's heart has always been for unity. And for us, you know what? We have the power by the Holy Spirit to change enmity into unity. And this is what we have to do. First thing, I have to take me out of the equation. And I have to put you first. Enmity to unity. I take me out and I put you first. Enabled by God. That's God's heart for us. As I was listening to Will last week, those words just switched in my head. And Benj, thank you for being able to do that on the board. But it's a key for us this morning. God wants to change enmity into unity. And it starts in me. Taking me out, putting you first. And I want to consider two examples for us of great uh, covenant love. Well, one great covenant love, one less so. If you turn back in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, I'm going to read some chunks of scripture. Um, If I don't have enough time today, I'll I'll continue at a later date. Um, I don't want to speak for too long this morning uh, to fit it all in. So if I need to delay some stuff, we can come back to some of these things. But we'll see how we go. So I want to read a few chunks of scripture. I'm going to start in, uh, where am I starting? 1 King, uh, sorry, 1 Kings, 1 Samuel 16, 13. And I want to compare uh, the difference in relationship between Saul and David and Jonathan and David. And how one was a convenient love and the other one was a covenant love. So look out for love in the words and just begin to um, hear this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you don't have that version, I'm going to be reading quite big chunks. So it may help you just to listen um, yeah, <laughs> but if uh, you'd like to follow me and check that I'm telling the truth, that's absolutely fine. You're entitled to do that. Lord, I ask that you just bless the reading of Scripture right now, and uh, that you'd really instill in our hearts all that you want us to to take hold of today, as we hear your word read. So, uh, one Samuel 16, and then I'll jump to some other chunks, and I'll let you know where we're going. At this point, uh, David is uh, serving. Uh, I've been asked to serve Saul. He's already been anointed by Samuel to be king, but Saul is, is currently king of Israel. And it says, As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He'll play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, said Saul, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man. And the Lord is with him. David was doing all right, wasn't he? So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David, the shepherd. 
Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word for Jesse to Jesse, sorry, asking, please let David remain in my service for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Now Goliath comes and challenges the armies of God. David is visiting and we'll pick up in 1 Samuel 17, 32. He's visiting his brothers at the front line and, and he gets wind of the fact that they're afraid of Goliath. They're afraid of the Philistines and David decides to take it upon himself to go into battle. And he says to Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. This is 1732. David told Saul, I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous. He was Welsh, Saul, so he said ridiculous. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You may have been aware that David actually wins this battle and uh, kills Goliath. That was, sorry about the spoiler there, but if you go to verse 57 of um, chapter 17, I encourage you to read these chapters over the, the next few weeks. They're great. It's a great true story. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. 
David was playing his harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand and suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and he had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him a commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Then David gets to marry Saul's daughter. And in verse uh, four of chapter 19, Jonathan is defending David to his dad, Saul. As we said already, Jonathan said, has expressed his love for David. So was Saul, but Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Saul is out to kill David, his attempt to take his life, and Saul stands up for David in front of his father. And in 19 verse four, it says, the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill a Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul and David served in the court as before. Then Saul attempts to take David's life again. David's wife saves him and he flees. And then we pick up in chapter 20, verse 11, just for this kind of finale. Saul is now out and out seeking to kill David. Jonathan is struggling to come to terms with that and David is convinced. And they've decided that Saul will, uh, Jonathan will sound out Saul at the feast to see whether David is safe or not. And in verse 11, it says this, they're talking together and Jonathan invites David out to the field and in verse 12, he says, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I'll let you know. But if he's angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with us, sorry, be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love or hesed love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this hesed love, this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. And he goes back to, to sound out his father. David is waiting in the field. In verse 24, it says, David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon festival began, he sat, uh, the king sat down to eat. He sat at his usual place against the wall and Jonathan sitting opposite him and Abner beside him. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day for he said to himself, something must have made David's ceremony unclean. But when David's place was empty again, the next day Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there so please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. 
Do you think I don't know you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. And then last verse, verse 42, chapter 20. At last Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is witness of the bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. Big chunk of scripture. But you can see the difference in the relationship. So patently clear, isn't it? Between Saul and David and Jonathan and David. And there's something about, so it says in verse six, uh, in 21 of Verse 21 of chapter 16, it says, Saul loved David greatly. The trouble was, Saul only loved David when it suited him. When David met his needs, when David was useful to have around, when David blessed him, it was easy. It's easy to love somebody when they do you good. It's quite difficult to not love somebody when they're being kind and helping you and looking out for you. Saul liked what David did for him. He got him out of a jam. He met his needs. He brought comfort to him. But that's not enough. That's convenient love. Covenant love we see represented in Jonathan where he says he loved him as he loved himself. And when David didn't meet Saul's needs or began to become a bit of a potential threat, Saul turns on David. But for Jonathan, Jonathan is willing to stand by David even if it meant that Jonathan might die. Even to his own detriment, he stood alongside his brother because his love wasn't convenient. It was covenant David was an uncomfortable person to be around because David's life was on the line and anyone near him would have been taken out and yet Jonathan said, no, I'm not going anywhere. My father may have abandoned you and by the way, as a result, God has abandoned him but I am staying with you. We've made a covenant together. That's the heart of God for us. This covenant love is not based on the fact that I like you and you like me and everything's good and rosy at the moment because you're doing everything that suits me and meets my needs, that's convenient. And Of course, there are times when that happens, but when the things get tough, when there's discord or disharmony that can creep in, or if you're not doing things the same way as me, that's when covenant love needs to overcome everything else. I'm just going to take this first point this morning and then come back to some of these things. But firstly, I want to say this about covenant love. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I want to say this about covenant love. It completes, it never competes. It rejoices, it doesn't resent. Completes, it doesn't compete, it rejoices, it doesn't resent. You see, Saul could not handle David's success. Ringing in his ears. The tens of thousands, man. And I'm the thousands, man. This man's more gifted than me. This man's more loved than me. This man's more popular than me. I hate him. Competition. It's a terrible thing. I, thank you, by the way, Chris, for pouring me a water. I love being part of a group. There's no competition between us as elders. There's no competition between us as couples. There's no competition with us. With, there's just no competition. It's such a blessing. It's God's heart for us as leaders. It's God's heart for us as a church. I believe 
it is the, the heart of, of every person here. God wants us to complete one another and never compete. There's no place for one-upmanship. There's no place for me to get jealous because of someone else's success. Fifteen people went up to say congratulations to Will last week after his word. I had four. <laughs> just made that, I just made that up. But that's what it can become like. And all of a sudden, you know what? It might, be, it might do him good if he, if he stumbles up a bit, messes up a bit, you know? Knock him down a peg. We start getting competitive. There's no place. When there's covenant love, it doesn't happen. We don't, complete, we don't compete, we complete. So when Jonathan stands up and says to his father, look how many wonderful things David has done. Jonathan was the next in line to be king in Saul's eyes. Jonathan didn't care about that. He didn't care about position. He didn't care about who was going to be boss next. He loved David. He saw God's hand on David. He was blessed by David. He did all that he could to support him in every way. Isn't that fantastic? To complete, not compete. To rejoice and not resent success. You know, Saul's jealousy led to spiritual torment. It's interesting words, the phrases about this, this spirit that comes to torment Saul, theologically speaking. But I believe this. I don't believe God's necessarily specifically sent. He allowed this to happen. God is sovereign. And what Saul had done was he created an opening for the enemy to be able to invade. Saul says, don't let the enemy get a foot, uh, Paul, don't let an enemy get a foothold in your life. Don't give him any place where he can get a bit of leverage or get a toe up or a knee up. Don't ever give the enemy a bunk up in your life. This is what Saul had done. The jealousy had opened something in his life. He didn't deal with it. He didn't repent of it. And the enemy exploited it. And God allowed it to happen. His sinful attitude and heart created a foothold for the enemy. Ephesians 4.27 talks about that. Attitudes and thought patterns that we have are so important. That's where those things begin. You know, Will talked last week about the heart. We have to guard our hearts. We have to not allow jealousy to, to get a grip in our lives of one another. Don't entertain jealous thoughts. Don't be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I think jealousy and pride are very closely linked and they're both tied to an insecurity. Like a puffer fish. When it's threatened, it's insecure. Things aren't good. Bigger than you think. God says, no. Prefer one another. Covenant love. Don't demand your own way. Don't be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Don't be a Saul. Be a Jonathan. Don't be jealous. Instead, rejoice when, there's in, when injustice is overcome and truth wins out. Jonathan had this great understanding. A victory for David is a victory for me. I'm not going to talk about last night. I made a decision yesterday afternoon not to talk about whatever happened in the game last night. But I did have this clip already prepared. It's not to do with Wales. I'd like us to watch it. And um, it's by a football team, an Icelandic football team called Star, Starnen FC. Any, anybody wearing the shirt today? Usually in this sort of group, we'd have somebody wearing the shirt, I would imagine. The new kit? No. Um, but I'd like to show the clip. It's, it's funny. And uh, just watch it for a minute and then we'll, I'll come back. 
I love that sense of one person, one of, one of the team scores, but the whole team celebrate. The whole team make a point of doing all, going all out to celebrate the fact that one of them had got the goal. And I love that sense of togetherness, that sense of a, a goal for you is a, is a victory for our team. Your success is to my blessing and, and, and to further what God is doing among us. It's not about you versus me. It's about us together, a covenant community of people, never jealous, never boastful, never proud, never rude, never, uh, or, and not um, re- resenting but rejoicing when we went out. Success for you is a success for me. If you're more gifted than me in certain things, and many of you are, it's to my blessing. It's God's heart for us. This is covenant community. I'm going to pick up some more bits next week because uh, I want to look at some other aspects of this. There's three big points. But um, I just want to sort of introduce it and, and pick up that first point this morning. But I would just love to, to pray as we were praying this morning and just considering uh, what to share and, and how much to share. But I really believe God wants us to see things in the right way. He wants there to be no filter, no coloring of how we view him or how we view one another because of our past, even our present, because of things outside of our control or within our control. God wants us to be assured of his love and enable us to see one another in the light of his love for us first and foremost. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. The Holy Spirit is here. I don't say that glibly or right. He's here. Jesus wants his body to be strong, united, covenanted together. He wants it to bring glory to him. And uh, I believe he wants to just remove some filters this morning. So Holy Spirit, we just say we, our desire is that these aren't just, this isn't just theory, but something inherently happens in our hearts and in our lives this morning to to make the adjustment, Holy Spirit, that you desire to make. That we are a body that we're breathing you this morning, Holy Spirit. We're drawing on you this morning. We thank you that you're the one who brings life. You're the one who brings restoration. You're the one who brings revelation. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us right now. Just pray that you begin to, just to move and to touch hearts. Just begin to allow us to see things as they really are. Pray that you begin to reveal to us anything where we're, we're putting it as a lens and a filter that we were never meant to. I ask everybody to keep your eyes closed, but if you're here today and you feel, I, I, there's a filter that needs to go this morning. I believe there's something that, that needs to be shifted in how I'm seeing things. I just ask you to stand as we keep our eyes closed. I'm just going to pray over us. But if you feel there's a filter that needs to go, just if you would stand to your feet. No one's going to be looking around or looking at you. But just something needs to go. In you standing, this, it's, this is between you and God. See him that's going to do something. Not going to wait too much longer. So if you need to respond, now's the time to do it.
presence of God together as a corporate community. There's power in agreement this morning. There's power in our unity this morning and togetherness for God to do great things among us. In the name of Jesus, just speak right now to every heart, to every mind, to every filter that has sought to distort the truth. Say, be gone, be removed in the name of Jesus. And we release right now revelation to come of the perfect love of God that it will wash over every person here, every person that stood right now. Holy Spirit, would you Wash them with revelation of the love of God for them this morning. Wash them with newness and freshness. Wash away hurts. Wash away disappointments. Wash away failure. Wash away guilt, Holy Spirit, we pray. Bring restoration and newness right now. Clarity, 2020 vision to see things the way that you see them, Lord. To see themselves the way that you see them. To see one another in the way that you desire them to see them, Lord. Filters be gone in the name of Jesus. Healing, come right now in Jesus' name. Wholeness, restoration in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Could you all just keep our eyes closed, but just stand to our feet together, please. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we lift our hands to you this, this afternoon, Lord, in recognition of our love for you, our need for you, Lord, in an acknowledgement of the love that you have for us. Even as little Abby came this morning to remind us of this incredible truth, Lord. Lord, I pray for each one of us, let it not miss the mark this morning, the truth of your perfect love for us. Lord, let your love begin to just flourish and grow and increase in our hearts right now. Let us be overwhelmed, I pray, with your love for us, Lord, with your perfect love for us, Lord. Let there be a fresh sense of value among your people this morning. Be a fresh sense of security in the body this morning. That each member knows its place is here. Valued, secure, loved and loving. In the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to express that love. To reveal you, Jesus, to the world around us in the way that we love one another. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. And we'll come back and we'll come through some more of these things next week. But just trust that Holy Spirit continues to minister to us and that we express our love for one another and appreciation for one another. And, and just to say, if there's somebody that you appreciate here today, you've appreciated something about them, encourage them, tell them so um, as we have tea and coffee together. Be really blessed and we'll have a, a great afternoon. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. 
For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.